Good morning. Matthew chapter 2 is the text that we'll be in today. Matthew chapter 2. Man's name was Glenn. He was a missionary with his family in China. Had served there for a long time. Kind of grew up there with his folks and as time went on, he married. They started an underground church in China because it's illegal, of course, to be Christians there, to be missionaries, certainly. And so they operated that way for quite some time, but then they were discovered. They were told they were going to be under house arrest and then sent back to the United States. And so they were just waiting for that day to come when they would be sent back to the U.S. and one day a Chinese soldier came and knocked on their door and said, today's the day. You're going back to the United States today. I'll come back in a few hours. You can take 200 pounds with you, but nothing over 200 pounds. That's it. So he left. And the family, his wife and his two kids... They were left to try to figure out, okay, what goes and what stays. They'd spent years there, and they'd already begun packing because they knew they were going to be sent back, and so his wife had different decorations and pictures and memories of their time as a family, things she wanted to see go, things that were important to her. Glenn, of course, had his own boxes packed, his books and commentaries, and of course, I mean, he had to have his computer. And the kids, the kids had their things, uh, you know, their books, their toys, their games. They had their stuff they wanted to take. So the family debated back and forth, and finally they weighed it, and it was over 200 pounds. So they argued, and they debated what stays, what goes, weighed it again, argued again, <laughs> Waited again, argued again. Finally, they got it down to 200 pounds, right on the dot. And when the soldier came back later, he said, are you ready to go? They said, we're ready. 200 pounds, 200 pounds. The soldier looked at their pile of stuff, and he said, did you weigh the kids? <laughs> no, we didn't weigh the kids. Weigh the kids. And suddenly, nothing else really mattered. Suddenly, what they'd been arguing about and bickering about, all those debates were just irrelevant. Weigh the kids. When you weigh the kids, it puts everything else into perspective. And it didn't matter about the decorations or the commentaries, the books, the computer, the toys. Nobody cared. Weigh the kids. And in that moment, they had a different perspective. Their values were realigned. I hope that happens for us in this season between Thanksgiving and Christmas. That maybe we would develop a little different perspective and realign some of our values. Because what I know of us is that we can get very caught up in our own little things. Our going down our own little journey, building our own little kingdom, we can become very protective of our stuff. We get very focused on, here's what I've acquired, here's what I've purchased, 
here's what I want to make sure that I can take with me. And then there are those moments of clarity when we realize that what we thought really mattered doesn't really matter very much at all. We have those moments in time, maybe it's at the funeral of a friend or a loved one, where we're sitting there and, and we recognize suddenly how brief life is, that we're just here for a moment and we're like dust and we're gone and the only thing that really matters is what is eternal. So we're going to celebrate Christmas this month. And as we do, we're going to recognize the generosity of God towards us. God has been incredibly generous. He gave us his son. And my prayer is as a church that we would respond to his generosity by being generous ourselves. Generous people. That we would invest our time, our money, our resources, not in our own kingdoms and not in our own stuff that we get caught up in, but in those things that really matter. And so today we're going to talk about the Christmas story. We're going to look at it a little bit from the perspective of the wise men. And and in the next few weeks probably do that. And the wise men, Matthew chapter 2, we read about them. They, They understand that something really significant has happened. They don't understand all the implications of it, but they make this long journey to worship Jesus. And we read about that here in Matthew 2, beginning in verse 1. It says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who's been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. And so they come with these gifts, the gold, the frankincense, the myrrh. All right, we'll talk more about those in weeks to come, but they come to worship and they come to give an offering. That's what they do. They come to worship, and they come to give an offering. Why shouldn't our response be the same? That we come to worship, and we come to give an offering. You know, one of our five core values here at New Hope is that we intend to practice responsible stewardship. And I would, I want to challenge you as you come to worship and give an offering like the wise men did, I want to challenge you to empty your jar. Empty your jar. That comes right out of the Gospels. We read about emptying the jar in Luke chapter 7, where Jesus at the house of a Pharisee, a religious leader named Simon. I don't think Simon, the Pharisee, really wanted to have Jesus over, but it was kind of part of his religious duty. So Jesus came. Simon didn't wash the feet of Jesus. So Jesus sits there at his table reclining with unwashed feet. I don't think that was an oversight by Simon. I think it was an intentional insult towards Jesus. So Jesus is there, he's having this meal, and suddenly the meal is interrupted by a woman who was not invited to the lunch, a known sinner in the community. And when she walks in, it gets, it gets awkward pretty quickly, and some of the people at the table Maybe they kind of looked down because they knew she might recognize them. Maybe some of them stared at her so offended by her presence, but not Jesus. He was, he had this gentle smile on his face, like he really saw her. 
He looked at her the way no man had ever looked at her before, as a daughter with value, with honor. And she's undone, I, I think, by his grace, his love, and she falls at his feet. She begins to weep. The tears fall down her cheeks onto his unwashed feet. She realizes nobody washed his feet. The tears keep coming. She's got this jar around her neck, a jar of perfume. It would have been used in her line of business, one drop at a time, one man at a time. But it was really expensive, probably a half a year's salary at least for her, and she just takes the jar and she empties the entire jar onto the feet of Jesus. And the smell of that ointment just fills the entire room. And again, everyone is just uncomfortable in that moment, but Jesus seems to love it. And the story ends up with Jesus rebuking the Pharisee, but blessing the woman. She empties the jar. And what she does when she empties the jar is she shows this worship and this generosity just like the wise men who came to worship and to give an offering worship that was that was worship that made some people feel uncomfortable and the generosity in a way that some people thought was inappropriate but she is generous and she's worshipful the wise men are generous, and they were worshipful. And our response to the generosity of God through Jesus, his grace to us, his joy, the, the peace that he gives us, you know, the good news of great joy that's for all the people, our response to that should be to worship and to be generous. The wise men came to worship, they came offering a gift, and that's the challenge for us as we head into Christmas. And that kind of empty-the-jar attitude begins with just having gratitude. An attitude that begins with gratitude. We're grateful, grateful for what God has done. You know, it's interesting because many of the people in that area at the time didn't realize the significance of the birth of Christ. But you've got these magi, we call them wise men, they come from the east, an 800, 900 mile journey probably that they would have made, a, a six month or so commitment of time and round trip, and they come to worship Jesus. But how did they know? I, well, we saw his star in the east. Well, okay, you saw a star. How, how do you know, how do you know what that star meant? How did you know that you should bring gifts and come to worship? And, but they knew. Well, how did they know? Well, if you go back 500 years or so in history, it turns out that where they're from is exactly where Daniel in the Old Testament was taken in exile. When Daniel was in Persia, our modern-day Iran, while Daniel is there, he starts writing prophecies and eventually gives a timeline for some of the events in the life of Christ. And these wise men and wise men throughout those years had studied the prophecies of Daniel. I believe these men had put the pieces together. And they, they, they come to this, this conclusion, we've got to go. 
They saw the star. They interpreted it. We've got to go and worship. We have to go and we have to take an offering. And that's the right response. And so they make this journey. But it began with grateful awareness. And that's where I want us to begin this journey today. That we are gratefully aware of God's generosity towards us. Because our tendency, I think, is to take it for granted sometimes because it's just so familiar. I know for me, and you've heard me say this before, one of the challenges of preaching a Christmas sermon is to capture the awe that we should all have. That God so loved the world that he gave his son. I mean, I've preached Christmas sermons for 40 plus years. What new can I say? What, 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 what can I say that would help, help you to regain the awe of this event? I think that awe is hard to capture because of its familiarity. You've heard the expression, familiarity breeds contempt. I'm not sure if that's accurate. I think more often than not, familiarity breeds indifference. You just get so familiar with something that you shrug your shoulders at it and you don't care. It was impressive for a while, but now you don't even notice it. You talk to some people who maybe lived in the flatlands of Kansas and they moved to the mountains of Colorado and the awesome scenery. And then 10 years later, they have family visit and they're just, uh, uh, just can't believe the awesome scenery. And the people that have lived there for 10 years say, oh, yeah, <laughs> hadn't noticed. You know, I, I think familiar, familiarity just breeds indifference. And there's something about, about Christmas that just causes us to be indifferent instead of grateful. And we've got to resist that. And so this Christmas season, would you make sure that you're taking the time to be grateful for God, grateful to God for his great gift, this indescribable gift of Jesus. And when we're grateful, understand that that gratitude always leads to generosity. It always does. The journey of generosity always begins with gratitude. You show me someone that is generous, and I'll show you someone that's grateful. You show me someone that isn't generous, I'll show you someone that's discontent. I'll show you someone that, that, that feels a little bit more entitled, like they're getting the short end of the stick all the time. You show me someone that isn't generous, I'll show you someone that's really confused about how good God has really been to them. But when you're grateful, it leads to generosity. And when you're generous, it leads to gratitude. And so this upside down, it's upside down from, from how we, we think of it. And some of you may sit there and think, well, yeah, I, I understand that's true, but personally, I just can't quite get there. I know that joy and gratitude come from being generous, and when we're generous, we experience joy and gratitude, but... Everything in us, folks, and everything culturally around us says that joy and gratitude comes from getting, not giving. It comes from receiving, not giving. 
Sometimes we think, well, if I just had this much or if I, if I could just buy this or have that kind of car or live in this kind of house or go on this kind of vacation, I'd have joy and gratitude. I, I'd be grateful for that. But that's a moving target. And it just never seems to happen. And instead, what we find biblically is that joy and gratitude come when we're generous. So generosity begins with gratitude. Gratitude is where the path to generosity starts. But, but it's not just the generosity of God to us through Jesus. That's his greatest gift, but it's everything. Like every good and perfect gift. Remember what James says? James says every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Every good and perfect gift. So let's take time to be grateful for that. And I, there are some people who think, okay, I, I'm okay being grateful for Jesus. I understand that. But, you know, there's a lot of good things in my life that, quite frankly, I'm responsible for. You might say to me, I've worked really hard in my life. You don't know how hard I've worked. Well, okay. Who gave you the ability to work hard? Well, the Lord did. Yeah, but I've got certain talents, you know. There, there are certain things I'm just good at. Okay. Who gave you those talents? Well, the Lord did. Well, yeah, but, but you understand, I've, I've had some really good opportunities that come my way. I work for them. I'm talented. I, I, I'm good with technology. I, I'm good with computers. All right. <laughs> How much good would that talent have done you a hundred years ago in 1922? Not much. So who decided that you would be born here and now where the things you're good at happen to matter? No, well, the Lord did. You see, God decides these things. Every good and perfect gift comes from Him. And so the journey of generosity begins with a grateful awareness where we start our day grateful. We start our day paying attention to God's generous gifts to us. And then that generosity is fueled by love also. It's fueled by love. You know, I, I, I think my favorite Christmas verse, if there is such a thing in the Bible, <laughs> is John 3.16. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And you might think, might not think of that as a Christmas verse, but it really is. God so loved that he gave. And what we see consistently is that love is always expressed through sacrificial generosity. Always. You show me someone who's not generous to another person, I'll show you someone that doesn't love. Sacrificial love is expressed Radical love is expressed through sacrificial generosity. That, that's true of God. Sacrificial generosity, he sacrificed his son. That's true for us in our relationships as well and in our relationship with him. And so as we end this year and we head towards 2023, I want to challenge us to take this journey together and join the wise men and be people that are worshipful and people that are generous.
And this journey of generosity begins with gratitude. It's motivated and fueled by love. And I would also say this journey of generosity is paved with joy. It's paved with joy. Yeah, the beautiful thing about this, and I get to see it clear, clearly from my perspective, from where I sit, but I just see how God, you just can't outgive Him. You can't. My good friend Wilbur Hutchison that died some years back, Wilbur always used to say, God's got a bigger shovel. And he does. You can't outgive God. And so I love Matthew 2, verse 10 and verse 11. When the wise men went to see Jesus and give their gifts, they didn't do it begrudgingly. They didn't do it reluctantly. They didn't go to Jesus and say, do you know how far we've, we've come? You know how long this journey has taken us? You know how heavy this jar has become for us? Do you realize how much these gifts cost us? What a sacrifice? No. They were overjoyed at the opportunity to give their gifts to Jesus. You're more blessed to give than to receive, the Bible says. And what was it Jesus said in Luke chapter 6? Give, and it will be given unto you. Pressed down, shaken together. Make room for more, running over, poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. You just can't outgive God. You, you just can't. And some of you have experienced that in deeply personal ways. And, but I know there's some people when they hear that, that like, okay, so if I give God X amount of dollars, that means he's going to give me more amount of dollars? And we have this idea that Somehow the way we're most blessed is financially. And I'll say this, God provides. And what we see consistently throughout Scripture is that when we empty it, God fills it up. We empty it, God fills. Whatever it is. When we empty it, God fills it back up. Chip Ingram wrote a book entitled The Genius of Generosity. And here's one of the things he says in that book. He says, if I could sum up what the Bible teaches about giving in one statement, it would be this. Generous living produces emotional happiness. That's how he sums it up. Generous living produces emotional happiness again and again. That's what the Bible teaches. We give sacrificially. We think we're losing. But again and again, the Bible teaches when we give, we receive. When we empty, he fills. Like there's a spiritual mystery to this. And that's how we should want to celebrate Christmas. We want to appropriately acknowledge the generosity of God to us through Jesus by being people that come to worship, and people that come to give. And so in these weeks leading up to Christmas, I want to challenge those of you that are a part of our church family to do that very thing, to come to worship and come to give. Do what God says to do in Malachi 3, verse 10. He says, put me to the test. Test me in this. 
Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, God says, and test me now in this, if I won't open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing on you that you can't contain. Test me, he says. And I challenge you to put God to the test in that way. And to move deeper into that in the new year. So this Christmas, let's be grateful. Grateful people. Let's let our gratitude be demonstrated through our generosity. When you come here on the Lord's Day, come to worship and come to give. It'll be fueled by love and it'll be paved with joy. And may we be generous people to make sure that as many people as possible know the good news of great joy. Let's pray. Father, when we consider the accounts of Scripture that surround the birth of your Son, there are just so many different facets to look at. And it's incredible the way that you led these wise men to come and to worship the Christ child and to present the gifts that they came to offer. So, Father, help us to learn that type of lesson and to imitate their generosity. May we recapture the awe that should surround our worship every Lord's Day as we come here and understand that your presence is here. You inhabit the praises of your people. And as we we recapture that sense of awe, may it translate itself into generosity and a worship that will please you in every way. Father, help us to grow in these areas. And thank you for your indescribable gift of Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.